welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Exhortation by Larson Hicks on June 26th, Lord's Day Service. to our exhortation to prepare us for confession of sin. And this morning it comes from chapter 14 of Romans and also the first part of chapter 15. For time's sake, I'm not going to read through the whole passage. It's a long passage, um, but I'd encourage you to look at it later. Um, Again, it's, it's all of chapter 14 of Romans and the first seven verses of chapter 15. And we're trying to, I'm trying to cover a lot here, and so I'm just going to dive into a couple of specific key points of application, a couple of verses. Um, but the main theme that, we, that this passage teaches is patience with weaker brothers. So that's the main theme, is patience with weaker brothers. And specifically, Paul instructs us to, one, to follow our conscience, um, and two, to not pass judgment on others with different convictions. So those are the two ways that we are to exercise patience with weaker brothers is to A, follow your own conscience, and B, to not pass judgment on others with different convictions. And I think this is especially important for us, for TRC at this moment, because one, we're a new church, we're a growing church, um, and I also think, uh, too, that, that we're in a time of, of what I hope are early days of revival in our country, um, at least a great movement of the Spirit um, in our nation. And so I think Patience with weaker brothers is going to be a key challenge for our church in the days to come. So with that quick intro, let's dive into verse 1, which says, As for one who is weak in, the, in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. As the Lord brings new people to our church, they're coming from different backgrounds and stages in their faith. Paul is encouraging us here to welcome them all, but to be careful to avoid quarreling over opinions. What opinions is he talking about? Well, he lays it out in the, in the passage, but he specifically talks about uh, dietary restrictions and observance of different hol- uh, holidays. And those things, it's funny, because those things are actually still things that we like to quarrel about in, in our circles. Uh, does feeding your children processed uh, GMO foods make you a bad mother? Is celebrating Christmas or Halloween a sin? Um, so we should stop quarreling about those things um, specifically. But I also think it's appropriate for us to ask, what other kinds of things does Paul think we should our opinions that we ought not to be quarreling about. Here are a few that I think would make the list. Education preferences, homeschool versus classical school, the use of alcohol, head coverings, family worship, home birthing versus hospital birthing, living in the city versus living in the country, abolitionism versus incrementalism, denominational disputes, political strategies, and entertainment standards, just to name a few. And I could go on. We all know that there's a much longer list probably. Scripture says we should welcome new folks into our churches, but we shouldn't drag them into our petty food fights. Verse 4, skip down to verse 4, says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. So here Paul is using the metaphor of a master and a servant to describe a person's relationship to their conscience. So person is the servant, conscience is the master. 
And so to kind of extend the metaphor a little further, imagine a housekeeper's boss likes to have their furniture polished, while a second housekeeper's boss thinks that polishing furniture ruins the furniture. So when the second housekeeper bumps into the first buying furniture polish at the store, should she chastise the other uh, housekeeper for being a poor housekeeper? Well, no. She's doing her job and is a faithful employee. It would be foolish for her, actually, to listen to the criticism. If she did, she'd risk getting fired for disobeying her employer. That's how we should treat others' consciences. I've mentioned Bezalel recently uh, from the Old Testament, the, the first man in Scripture who is described as being filled with the Spirit. He's given a spirit of wisdom for a very particular task, the very particular task of fashioning the instruments for worship. In the same way, I believe God equips each of us with instincts and, and a conscience for the particular task that he's called us to, the particular gifts and weaknesses that God has given each of us and those in our sphere of influence and authority, they're all very different from one another. It would be presumptuous for any of us to be dismissive of another's instincts and convictions with respect to how they're leading their families. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another, it says. Basically, Paul is saying, mind your own business. Let's jump down to verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. When we assert our personal convictions too forcefully, we run the risk of stumbling on a brother. For example, I'm personally convinced in scripture that drinking alcohol is permitted and my conscience is clean on that topic. But if a new family joins TRC that grew up in a family that believed otherwise, it's not my job to try to convince him of my conviction. Furthermore, if he doesn't feel right about it, far be it from me to be the one to encourage him to violate his conscience. Christians should never be in the business of convincing brothers or sisters to violate their consciences about anything. God gave you a conscience for a reason, and we need to be in a habit of following it instinctively. This doesn't mean that sometimes people don't change their convictions after careful study and prayer and, and thinking about it, but this should not be undertaken lightly or too quickly. The next verse, 14. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. Kind of sounds relativistic, what Paul's saying there. Is that something we would ever say? If a friend asks, do you think it's okay for me to do this thing or that thing that I, I always thought was wrong, like, like maybe eating at a restaurant on the Sabbath or, or listening to secular music, um, do we ever respond to something like that with, with, with Paul's words? Um, it's unclean for someone who thinks it's unclean. Um, we ought to be very slow to try and talk someone out of their convictions. Decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Verse 16, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Here's the danger we get into when we're overzealous about evangelizing people to our personal convictions. We run the risk of misrepresenting non-essentials as if they are essentials. Wow, that Larson guy seems to think that paedo-baptism and post-millennialism are, so are, are more important than the gospel. He thinks you'll go to hell if you don't agree with him. Yikes, stay away from that guy. Do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil because of your lack of maturity. Our enthusiasm about various convictions crosses a line when we become zealots. There's a difference between embracing an idea and making something into an ideology. 
ideologies take root and want to become the lens through which we see everything. They're usually, there's usually truth in all of these concepts that we, we, we try to turn into ideologies. Things like Calvinism or libertarianism or classical Christian education. They become ideologies when we absolutize that kernel of truth. For instance, I recently heard uh, Doug Wilson talking about how uh, you can have a conservative worldview that incorporates uh, elements of libertarianism, but if you adopt libertarianism as your, as your ideology, it can't incorporate conservatism. If libertarianism becomes your ideology, you make individual rights into the paradigm that everything must fit within. It unseats God's word as your ultimate standard and can lead to a lot of odd, unbiblical things. But I digress. The point is, do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Don't take your pet convictions, however good and helpful they may be for you and your family, whether they're dietary or educational or medical or political, don't make them into an ideology because that is when they become divisive in the church. That's when you start to uncharitably judge everyone around you who doesn't see things through your special lens. Verse 19. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. There is so much that we should be pursuing together that makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Let us focus our energies and efforts on those things. I hope that, um, that we are on the cusp of a great revival in our nation. And my prayer is that TRC will play a big part in bringing in the harvest and building up the kingdom in Huntsville rather than being a divisive church that's full of people who alienate their friends and neighbors through their obsession with their pet hobby horse convictions. Let's not be that kind of church. Let's not be those kinds of people. In 1 Corinthians, when Paul says that he has become all things to all people, he's talking about how he is willing to let go of his rights and preferences in order to win over both Jews and Gentiles to Christ. Quote, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by means, by all means, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I, might, that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul's example here should inspire us to be more evangelical in our orientation to our friends and our neighbors, both in the church and outside of it. We need to have the discernment to know when we need to keep our mouths shut about secondary and tertiary things and when it is that God's giving us an opportunity to share the gospel or to encourage someone who's weaker in the faith. So in the next chapter, it spills over from chapter 14 to 15. The first three verses are, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up for Christ did not please himself. If you're strong in the faith, you can't be patient, but can't be patient with the weakness and immaturity of those around you, then Paul says you're selfish. You're just pleasing yourself. This, by the way, is what nobility is all about. Being a king is not about status and entitlement. Nobility is about embracing an obligation to serve those lower than you. It's about condescension, like Christ, stooping to love those who don't deserve it. Verse Four in, in chapter 15, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Our pet causes are not where our hope lies. We are encouraged and able to encourage others by the word of God. When you have an opportunity to encourage 
uh, a weaker brother or neighbor who wants to quarrel about secondary issues, turn the conversation back to Scripture. And finally, I'll close with Paul's exhortation in uh, verses 5 through 7. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. Oh,